And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 22, 21, rather, 21, verse 22. We're in a series on strength for today, hope for tomorrow. Chapter 21, I'm going to be, again, well, we're, <clears throat> we've already covered 22 through 23. I'm going to read that for context down through 22.5. This is the Word of God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of the life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, what great hope we have and joy as we read these verses. Uh, Father, we've just sung a, a hymn of praise to you, Lord, calling for all creation, Lord, all the nations to join in worship. Uh, so, Father, we anticipate that. So, as we look at uh, uh, life in the long tomorrow, Lord, give us your spirit to understand uh, what your word says, shape the way we view, uh, Father, uh, today and the long tomorrow. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what will life be like in the long tomorrow? By long term, remember, we mean that the, on the new earth there is no more night, just eternal day, a day that goes on forever and forever. So what will life be like in that long tomorrow? Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven's a great book on the subject that you enjoy reading if you haven't already. I do have one caution that sometimes he moves a little too far in speculation rather than simply drawing from Scripture. So remember that if you read it. But he's got a lot of, of good things. And the fact is the Bible is somewhat vague uh, about eternity. And so we do want to avoid speculation. But as we watch what John describes, we get at least a, a few ideas that we can meditate on, that we can think about, uh, that will give us strength for living today uh, and incredible hope for how wonderful our long tomorrow is going to be. So let's go to the text. First, what on earth are you going to do? All right. Let me mention two things, not in the text first. One thing is the Bible is clear about, you're going to rest. Sounds good, right? Um, we enter into our eternal Sabbath rest, uh, we're told in Hebrews, meaning we, we rest on Christ for our salvation now on His finished work for us. And so we'll rest on Him forever. Our eternal salvation is absolutely secure. 
Revelation 14, 13 tells us we'll rest from our labors here on earth. I got a taste of that a week ago. I was at the beach. So in my daily routine, I, I, I just sat there uh, and walked there, looked out at the ocean, walked on the beach, played in the water. Uh, marvelous to behold God's world. Uh, in the same way, there will be on the new earth rest for us as we, we take in all the wonders around us. Not just the wonder of being with Jesus, we'll talk about that, but the wonder of a remade earth that reflects God's glory. Uh, there'll be no more deadlines, no alarm clocks, all right? No overtime, no anxiety about jobs or the economy or inflation. It's one right puts it just complete satisfaction with never a dull moment. And while there'll be no school, we'll, we'll also, the second thing is that we'll be learning. I'll learn about what? Psalm 1611 tells us that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, we will spend time just taking in the inexhaustible greatness of God. Um, we'll explore the wonder of, of who God is and all that He is, and never exhaust the depths of that. Whereas God's words assure us in eternity that, that we will know and, and be known. Uh, what we learn about God will go on forever. And we'll never get bored. We'll never get weary uh, getting to know God better. Now back to our text. In verses 24 to 26, we read this. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. All right, so the nations will bring their glory into the new Jerusalem through the always open gates uh, illumined by God and the Lamb. Now, scholars really approach these in, in two ways. Uh, one is to see it, it partly as, as all symbolism, that the nations are coming in to offer their praise to God uh, from all over the earth. Uh, and given how much symbolism we have in Revelation, that's an attractive option. Uh, a second is that we see this as, as bringing the ongoing uh, gifts of the cultural mandate uh, to offer to God. To be sure, we take nothing material from this life. Uh, now, I'm not sure how many of you remember the 1988 Mission Conference. Okay, none of you do. All right. But uh, I will tell you at that conference, Dwight Lynn was our speaker, uh, and he talked about the glories of the cultures of, of the earth. How God makes each people group unique um, and, and each nation unique and that they bring diverse cultural contributions. And he understood this to be how the nations have, have carried out the cultural mandate in order to bring glory to God and will continue to do so on the new earth. You say, well, well which is it? It's not a small question. You know, the key Old Testament passages that, that John's drawing from continues to be Isaiah. In Isaiah 2, he talks about the nations streaming to God, coming to him. Micah has almost an identical sermon in, in Micah 4, and he speaks of the nations uh, walking to the mountain uh, forever, uh, streaming there in God's presence. Then you get over to Isaiah 6, and it seems to build on that idea. And it speaks of the coming Jerusalem, and we're told this, Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, 
the young camels of, of uh, Midian and Ephah, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. I want you to notice that last verse, it says they'll bring some material things, um, the gold and frankincense, um, but also they'll bring praises to the Lord. Um, so I believe both are in view here. The nations are and will bring their glories into Jerusalem. That's certainly part of their worship to God, their ongoing worship on the new earth. Um, uh, these aren't pagan kings we're talking about. They're redeemed people. Um, but second, of course, just all the nations will come and worship. And the reason it's significant to uh, here is, is it really speaks to understanding that on the, on the new earth, we will continue to work. We'll continue to produce things for the glory of God. There is discontinuity with life on earth today. Pain, sorrow, sickness, death, sin, they'll exit. But there's continuity. Learning, rest, work, worship, and more. So for those who think all we're going to do is sit around on clouds and strum on our harps, um, here's a new flash, news flash for you. That's not all you're going to do. All right? Uh, we're going to engage in delightful work. Now, I know in today's world, surveys suggest a lot of people are unhappy with their work or with their jobs. Uh, and you go back a couple of generations, uh, people found so much of their sense of identity in their work and who they worked for. If you ask my grandfather about his work, he would have said, first of all, he said, I'm a carbider, um, which many work for Union Carbide. Uh, you had to press a little bit to find out what did he do for them. Well, he was a draftsman. But he'd worked for them from about 1940 as, as the Depression ended and stayed. He even worked two years, went back and worked two years after he retired. And uh, we are created to work because we're in the image of a God who's a working God. We read in the call to worship those verses from Zechariah. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Remember, we saw in the earlier part of the chapter, chapter 21, uh, that, that the jewels in the, in, the, in the city he describes represent us, uh, the people of God. Uh, well, why do they shine? Well, he goes on to tell us that. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty? Why do we shine? Because the beauty of God shines on us. And then we reflect that to the new earth. And then part of that beauty is, is, is workers, because God's a worker. Adam's task in the garden before the fall was to work it. Uh, and so it will be aspects of work in the new Jerusalem. And then Elkema reminds us that in the beginning, Adam and Eve were, were given the so-called cultural mandate to, to rule over the earth, uh, to develop all the God-glorifying culture. Uh, because of sin, that cultural mandate was never carried out as God intended it to be. Only on the new earth will it be perfectly and sinlessly fulfilled. So I mentioned bringing in the glories of, the, of our culture. Uh, again, we'll do that as we move through eternity. If you think about the past, that would have probably been things like uh, Michelangelo's David or, or uh, Handel's Messiah, or even uh, for us food people, the unique cuisines of the nations that we enjoy around the world. Uh, I mean, we know we're going to be eating there. Certainly, it's going to be the best of the best. Uh, I mean, it's hard to believe, all right? 
But in the New Jerusalem, the peanut butter there will be better than Jif peanut butter. I really believe that. It's a stretch, I know, but let your minds go there, all right? Uh, Paul Stevens points out, he said, Our final destiny is not a workless utopia, but a renewed world in which we will work with infinite creativity and fulfillment. Work on the new or renewed earth will be all uh, the good work that was intended to be, and it's going to be without sweat or frustration. You're going to have to garden without pest or weeds. Think about that, Bob Bradbury. All right? Um, without the curse on work, labor will be very personally and completely satisfying. That's hard to know exactly Victor Hugo's faith. That's, it's hard to follow that. Uh, but when he was reflecting on his life's work, which include things like Les Miserables and, and uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Listen to what he said about what he envisioned happening in the New Jerusalem. He said, for half a century, I've been translating my thoughts into prose and verse. History, drama, philosophy, romance, tradition, satire, ode, and song. All of these I've tried. But I feel I haven't given utterance to the thousandth part of what lies within me. When I go to the grave, I can say, as others have said, my day's work is done. But I cannot say, my life is done. My work will recommence the next morning. The tomb's not a blind alley, it's a thoroughfare. It closes upon the twilight, but opens upon the dawn. Uh, remember, our work will not exhaust us. Human limitations will be gone forever. Our heavenly bodies will be energized, will not have any need for sleep. Eternity, the long tomorrow, has, has no days or nights or weeks or years or centuries. It's the eternal present. And our glorified bodies and souls will be forever involved in God's purposes. All God's redeemed people will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 27, we read this, which is a reminder. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what's detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a reminder, it's, 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 it's about God's grace. Entering into the kingdom is not about uh, our accomplishments. It's about having our names written in the Lamb's book of life. We're also going to enjoy the beauty of the new earth as we live in the long tomorrow. The imagery that we've had of the broad city to this point now changes and adds to it the image of a garden. A recreation of a garden even better than Eden. Notice what he says. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, we saw in chapter 21 that there was no longer any sea. And we suggest that's because sea is, is a symbol for the Hebrew of, of chaos, of, of confusion. Uh, so it's not there. But there's water because water is a symbol for life. And the idea of life-giving water runs, no pun intended, throughout God's Word. All right? It starts back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2. 
We read a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And so these four rivers that include the Tigris and the Euphrates go beyond the garden and begin to water the earth, uh, life-giving water that goes out. The 46th Psalm tells us there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Uh, you know, wherever you go throughout the world, there's always life along the river. Uh, in fact, the only major city in the ancient world that was not built on a river was, in fact, Jerusalem. Uh, but in the New Jerusalem, there's a river flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Now, Ezekiel is the one who develops the imagery the most for us of that. Uh, he has this river, starts as a trickle just out of the, of the temple, um, and it gradually gets wider and, and deeper, and, and it brings life, you'll recall, wherever it goes. In fact, it brings life back to the Dead Sea, and people can go and fish there because of this life-giving water. Zechariah tells us on that day, Living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Jesus told the woman at the well to ask for what? Living water. He later says in John 7 that whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And we're told by that living water, he means, of course, the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Spirit. Again, some see uh, this river is just a symbol of the life-giving Spirit, and that is possible. Uh, but again, I think there's, there's more. There really is a river of some sort, uh, and it does point us to the Holy Spirit. But as the city garden have this river, it has the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. All right, the very tree that was the reason Adam and Eve were actually cast out of the garden. Uh, and cherubim were placed with swords at the entrance of the garden so they could not find their way back in. Now, why did God do that? Uh, well, this was a sacramental tree in the garden. It was a tree that if you ate from its fruit, it confirmed you permanently in whatever state you were in. Had Adam and Eve resisted Satan's temptation, they would then have been allowed to eat from the tree of life and they would be forever perfect and without sin. And we as their descendants would be perfect and without sin. And had they eaten of it after sinning, it would have confirmed them forever in their fallen sinful state with no hope of salvation. So God intervenes, and he casts them out of the garden, so that would not happen. Yet where do we find the tree now? It's in the New Jerusalem, and we eat freely from it. The number 12 of fruits, and the number 12 months a year, it a, a, a means a abundant provision for all the residents of the New Jerusalem who will live forever in a perfected state with no chance of sin or rebellion against God. All those who gather from all the nations are completely healed from their sin by God. All the nations have people will come and worship. All the divisiveness and the rivalries of this world will pass away. What Pentecost anticipated eventually comes to pass. 
But the central focus of our lives in the long tomorrow will be the worship of the living God. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Remember in Exodus 33, Moses is up on the mountain, and he asks God if he can see His glory. And God says yes to that request, but with, with one stipulation. He will not be allowed to see God's face. So though Moses speaks with God, though his own face will in fact radiate God's glory when he goes down from that mountain, he's not allowed to see God's face. Because even a glance at God's face would kill Moses. So God's hand protects him from seeing God's face when the overpowering splendor of God's glory passes by. Then you remember they, they build the tabernacle and the, and the temple. And this massive curtain uh, covers the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwells. And only the whole high priest, only him only once a year can, can go in there. And even when he goes in, he has to burn incense to fill it with smoke. So to cover over the glory of God so he doesn't fully see it. But then Jesus came. Uh, And as John writes in, in his gospel, we beheld his glory. And now with Jesus' name symbolically on our faces, marking us as belonging to God, we now know what the best part of eternity is. It's seeing the glorified Jesus himself face to face. We will instinctively worship him. We will celebrate his triumph on the cross over sin and death. The music will be absolutely incredible. The worship we offer here is but a a dim reflection of the worship around the throne of God. Uh, An eternal worship service that we somehow join in even now when we worship together with the people of God. Right now, we get a taste of eternity. Gathered here this morning is the closest we come to the taste of eternity of any time during our our, our lives on this planet. This is the place. Here each Sunday, we gather with people from across the United States and from Haiti and Hungary, Namibia and Germany, Korea, Australia, Canada, Congo, Colombia, perhaps more to worship God. And then in the New Jerusalem, we're going to gather with a countless multitude of God's people from every nation, tribe, and language to praise God for His being infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So will we always be on our faces at Christ's feet worshiping Him? I agree with Randy Alcorn here. I think the answer to that is no because of what we've seen this morning. The Bible does talk about us doing other things, eating, drinking, working. We'll see in a moment, reigning with Christ. Scripture describes people as standing, walking, traveling in and out of the city, gathering for feast. But all that we do is an act of worship, an act of service. Whatever we do is to the glory of God. And we'll enjoy full, unbroken fellowship with God, with Christ. 
and will gather with the multitudes for praise uh, in worshiping Him. And we're also reminded, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord our God will be their light. Remember, the long tomorrow has no night. As Ezekiel 43 reflects on this, he describes what's coming. He observes that the earth shone with his glory. So John's once again remind us that, that God's presence and God's glory is the greatest wonder of the new Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus will shine. And we will too as we reflect his shining glory to the universe. And then finally, we're told, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, God created Adam and Eve to be king and queen over this earth. Their task was to rule the earth in righteousness for the glory of God. But they failed. We sing a new hymn that mentions that Jesus uh, is the second, the new and better Adam. And that means we, the church, his bride, are the second Eve. Jesus is king, the church is his queen, and together we reign with him. Together we exercise dominion over his earth, fulfilling on earth, the new earth, the role that God had given to Adam and Eve on the old earth. For instance, New Jerusalem is not a Narnia that we'll just visit through a closet. It's not a Six Flags or Disney World or Universal Studios to be forever entertained and dazzled. But it's a place where we joyfully rule with King Jesus. We exercise dominion as God's image bearers. We'll produce God-exalting culture, Christ-exalting culture, all for the glory of the great King. So what about us? This week... Much of the world's interest was uh, on that mini submarine that went down to see the, the ruins of the Titanic. Um, it's a tr- tragic story. As every, tragi- every story is tragic where human life is lost. And I know nothing about the spiritual condition of the people on board. Uh, I would pray that they were believers or somebody on there was that could have told the others. Uh, but you know, if Revelation has taught us anything... So while we may not think about it, we're in a similar situation. Uh, We are living on an earth that's doomed for destruction, the judgment of God, despite all the Titanic-like hopes of the world around us. We're living in a world where, where sin and evil abound. And so we need strength to live in this world. And that strength comes from understanding uh, Jesus' triumph that John is proclaiming to us, which gives us great hope for tomorrow in the new Jerusalem. It's a hope that sustains us as we fix our eyes on eternity in a new heaven, in a new remade earth, where we'll finally see Jesus and we will live forever in the long tomorrow. Very simply, do you have that hope? And if not, we, we want to share with you today how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Uh, for us who are believers, the, the, the hope of this new earth motivates us. It motivates us to live God's way now for His glory. 
It motivates us to keep going despite the sin around us because we know what lies ahead. A couple weeks ago, we were driving to the beach, and, and um, now we had perfect weather at the beach. I'll just tell you that, just like heaven. Um, but uh, on the way, we went through rainstorms. We were, people were ahead of us, and they kept saying, you'll, you'll drive out of it, you'll drive out of it. We didn't. Um, until we got an hour from there, and it was, getting, it was pouring the rain. It was getting dark, and Becky said, you want to stop? And I said, no, uh, no. Why didn't I want to stop? Because what lay ahead, you know, a beach and an ocean. Um, and Becky's family, um, you know, y'all think about that one. So, <laughs> and my family too, okay. You know, there's an old gospel song that we seldom sing anymore. Um, and quite frankly, I, I, don't chat, I don't remember singing it, singing it in a worship service since I was a boy, um, it, at least 20 years ago. Um, uh, and, and probably because it's more a testimony than, than a hymn of praise. But it certainly is, is a song that's full of hope for tomorrow. And it gives us strength for a day. And some of you will know it. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, oh will it be. Uh, when with rapture I behold Him. Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face I shall behold Him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory, I will see Him by and by. Only faintly now I see Him with the darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when His glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in His presence when are banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face, oh blissful moment, face to face to see and know, face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face I shall behold Him far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all His glory. I shall see Him by and by. Let's pray. Father, that is our hope. We will see Jesus. Uh, Father, other songs remind us what a day that will be when our Jesus we will see. We'll look upon the face of the one who saved us by His grace. And so, Father, we anticipate that great hope. Father, a world where we uh, have a lot of struggles, where there's illness, Lord, and there's suffering and there's pain and there's crime and, uh, Father, uh, there's death. Uh, Father, we wait a yet more glorious day as we sang about this morning. Um, and we anticipate that. Father, there's anybody here that doesn't have that hope because they don't yet know Jesus as Savior, Lord, today. Uh, draw them to our, our Savior's love. Lord, we wonder how you could love us, a sinner condemned unclean, Lord. May they see that today in the depth of your love and your mercy and your grace shown in Jesus Christ. And then, Father, may we, filled with hope, continue on, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.